0: Welcome back to the Par Bar Podcast. Today we're continuing our look through the book of Genesis, chapter by chapter, and making a few quick remarks here and there. Today we're looking at Genesis chapter 8. Now this is a portion of Genesis that is quick it's a quick flowing narrative, and we see in verse one that God remembers Noah. Well, if you need to take a moment, pause this podcast and go read Genesis chapter eight. Okay, now that you're back, we read in verse one that God remembers Noah. And does that mean that God forgot about Noah? Say you're at the dinner table and you're doing your family Bible reading, and you get to chapter eight in Genesis and your astute child asks, Dad, is it true that God forgot Noah? how would you answer that? Well, when we read about God remembering, it refers not to his forgetting someone and then them coming back to his mind again, but rather it refers to him acting upon his covenant promises. His remembering has to do with his faithful love. God's remembering always has to do with his actions toward those of his memory. It is covenantal language. In other words, when God remembers... It means that God is taking action upon his covenant promises. There are many of examples, many examples of this throughout the Bible. Now, Calvin, John Calvin, presents some commentary on Noah's experience in the ark and God's remembrance. I will read this portion from John Calvin commenting on Genesis chapter 8. Calvin writes, Indeed, it is certain that God, from the time in which he had once received Noah into his protection, was never unmindful of him, for truly it was by as great a miracle that he did not perish through suffocation in the ark, as if he had lived without breath, submerged in the waters. And Moses just before, uh, Calvin uh, is of the opinion that Moses wrote the book of Genesis, and Moses just before has said that by God's secret closing up of the ark, the waters were restrained from penetrating it. But as the ark was floating, even into the fifth month, upon the waters, the delay by which the Lord suffered his servant to be anxiously and miserably tortured might seem to imply a kind of oblivion. And it is not to be questioned that his heart was agitated by various feelings, that is, Noah's heart, when he found himself so long held in suspense, for he might infer that his life had been prolonged in order that he might be be more miserable than any of the rest of mankind. For we know that we are accustomed to imagine God absent except when we have some sensible experience of his presence. And although Noah tenaciously held fast the promise which he had embraced, even to the end, it is yet credible that he was grievously assailed by various temptations. And God, without doubt, purposely thus exercised his faith in patience. For why was not the world destroyed in three days? And for what purpose did the waters, after they had covered the highest mountains, rise fifteen cubits higher, unless it was to accustom Noah and his family, to meditate the more profitably on the judgments of God and when the danger was past to acknowledge that they had been rescued from a thousand deaths let us therefore learn by this example to repose on the providence of God even while he seems to be most forgetful of us for at length by affording us help he will testify that he has been mindful of us what if the what if the flesh persuade us to distrust yet let us not yield to its restlessness But as soon as this thought creeps in, that God has cast off all care concerning us, or is asleep, or is far distant, let us immediately meet it with this shield. The Lord who has promised his help to the miserable will in due time be present with us, that we may indeed perceive the care he takes of us. Nor is there less weight in what is added, that God also remembered the animals, for if, on account of the salvation promised to man, his favor is extended to brute cattle and to wild beasts, What may we suppose will be his favor toward his own children, to whom he so liberally and so sacredly pledged his faithfulness? Calvin is commenting on the reality that Noah was alone with his family in the ark for five months, floating in the darkness of the waters. What would you have felt in a time like that? Abandoned? Forgotten? And yet Calvin comments that God purposefully used this time to exercise the faith of Noah. This might be a good reminder for all of us in our own troubles. Now in verses 2 to 3 in Genesis chapter 8, we see that the waters underneath and the waters above are all shut off. They are closed up at the end of 40 days. 40 days from the waters above and the waters below, flooding the earth is enough to cover the whole thing. Verse 4, we read that the ark settled, it came to rest. On the seventh month, perhaps a sabbatical month, on the 17th day of that month, there is rest now in creation. And of course, Noah's name means rest, and his father Lamech prophesied, prophesied that Noah would bring rest to the creation. And then on the first day of the 10th month, land is seen. We come to the story about the birds, the raven and the dove, The raven is an unclean bird, according to the law. And we have to ask the question, why why wouldn't the raven come back? We read that it went to and fro and it wandered over creation. Well, it is an unclean animal, and it's most likely unclean because it is a carrion bird. It comes into contact with corpses. It was most likely feasting on the carcasses of the old creation. And Noah on the top of the mountain would not know if the valley down yonder was safe yet. It could still be submerged by water. The raven never came back. The dove is a clean animal, and there was no undefiled place for her to rest her foot. The dove will not associate with dead bodies, and the only place for the dove to rest is the clean land of the ark, so she has to come back. Then she comes back with an olive leaf in her mouth, and no one knows that the water has receded enough for vegetation to grow down on the mountain. The third time the dove goes out, she does not come back at all. Now this suggests that the world is ready to be inhabited by God's people again, God's clean people. The creation is clean, and those who are saved can now enter it and have rest. In verse 13, we read, for example, that the waters were dried up on the first day of the first month of the new year, and the waters no longer covered the earth. Now why is there such an extended story about these birds? We could have simply been told that Noah sent out a bird and it came back until the dry ground appeared. That would have saved a lot of space and time. But as I like to say, the Holy Spirit does not waste his breath. He's trying to teach us something about this story of the birds, the raven and the dove. And, well, perhaps this is just an idea. It is an image of the way that things work in history. The raven who is like Cain, who wanders over creation it's the same language that's used of Cain in Genesis chapter 4 is used of the raven and this raven this Cain goes out and inhabits creation first remember back in Genesis 4 that it is the wicked the unclean who build up cities they get the cities first they have music first they make art first and so on but later on comes God's people the righteous take time to arrive they take time to create culture they have to wait God's people are people of patient faith. The dove is tentative tentative and takes longer to rest her foot and inhabit creation. In verses 20 to 22, we see the reestablishment of the covenant. In this chapter, uh, chapter 8 should be extended into chapter 9, verse 1. The blessings of God follows on the sacrifices of Noah. The chapter division is sort of poor here. Now we read in the sacrifice of Noah after the flood that every clean animal and every clean bird is offered. This is a totality of sacrifice, and nothing like it occurs in the Bible again. There is a some sort of unrepeatable sacrifice at the foundation of this new creation. This is the cornerstone of sacrifice for the life of Noah's world, and it's the one sacrifice from which flow the rest of the animal sacrifices in God's law. Just as Jesus' sacrifice is the cornerstone for a new creation. His sacrifice is the model for all of us after him. We do not give up animal sacrifices on our behalf any longer in this new creation. But like Christ, we are living sacrifices, and we are the pleasing aroma to God. Noah's sacrifice here is propitiatory. The animals are killed, they're burned, they ascend up to God, and when God smells the sacrifice, it pleases him and appeases his wrath. His judgment upon the world now turns to blessings for the world. Chapter 9, verse 1. The world before the flood became an altar for the wicked to die on. And now after the flood, the righteous build an altar and make sacrifices of clean animals to God. The righteous know that they deserve to die, but the righteous also have faith that God provides a substitute for them. And now the new world is based on the sacrifice of the righteous. Yahweh smells the soothing aroma. And we find in Leviticus chapter 3, verses 9 to 11 and in verse 16, that when God smells a sacrifice, it is an image of God eating, consuming that sacrifice. And the word soothing, as a soothing aroma to God, has the same root for the word rest, which is, of course, a pun Noah's name. The sacrifice is received by God, and God rests from his wrath, and the prophecy of Lamech now concerning his son is fulfilled. In verse 21, we see that God won't curse the creation again. Why? Has man changed? Well, no. Man has not changed, but God's disposition toward creation has changed because of the sacrifice of Noah. God will no longer allow evil to mature to such a point that creation needs to be flooded again. And thanks be to God. So the world is restored at the end of Genesis 8, and it's restored based on the sacrifice. And in verse 22, we see that the movements of creation, what we would call regular natural cycles, are not based on certain laws of nature. Laws of nature do not exist as such, but rather the consistency of creation is held together on covenantal promises of God through sacrifice. While the days of the earth remain, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night, shall not cease. The creation consistency, what we would call science, is held together through the covenant promises of God that are based on the sacrifices of Noah. The things listed in verse 22 ceased during God's judgments, but now they are reinstated through Noah and his sacrifice, and man's place over creation is restored in chapter 9 verses 1 and 2. But we all know that Noah's world wasn't the final. The faithful needed to be patient and to wait for a new creation, not founded on the sacrifice of clean animals but founded on the sacrifice of the perfect man, the man who would come to die for the salvation of God's people and the institution of a new creation through his blood. Those are my thoughts on Genesis chapter 8. If you are encouraged or you like what's happening here at my desk, please subscribe to the podcast and feel free to share it.